I want to speak to you this morning about restoring fathers. And I want to speak to you about how God has made children and subsequent generations to be able to receive and derive identity from fathers, both biological fathers and spiritual fathers. And I want to speak to you about how the enemy has kind of, how many of you know the enemy, sometimes the enemy, the Bible says in Isaiah 59, comes in like a flood, but God raises up a glorious standard. And when a flood comes in, it's just like the flood wasn't here and now the flood's here. How many of you have ever had an experience in your life where you know it's the work of the enemy and he's coming against, right? But it's like yesterday there wasn't a battle that I knew about, but today the battle is the biggest thing that I see. Amen? But there's, there's other times where the enemy, uh, the Bible calls him a, a serpent, you know, and serpents are sort of sneaky. I don't know if you like snakes, but I'm not a snake fan. I just got to get that out of the way. And the Bible calls the enemy uh, a, a snake because he's always sneaking into things. He's always creeping in under the foundation of things. And we don't know always that he's there until we can look back over a period of time and say that the enemy crept into a home or the enemy crept into a culture and began to shift and change things. And I want to say to you that I don't think that it is the fault of a generation, but I think that a generation choosing to see what I'm about to talk about and then make some shifts and changes are the answer. I don't think it's a gener I don't think we can look at a generation of parents or grandparents or great grandparents and say at this moment it was when prayer was taken out of schools or it was when uh, it was when abortion was instituted or it was when this happened or it was when this other thing happened. I think we look at it and it was such a slow creeping of the enemy into our culture. And he didn't creep in with, with full-on lies. He crept in with partial truths. I said he didn't creep in with, he didn't creep in with absolute blundering lies. He crept in with partial truths. And he crept in with something that I want to speak to you about this morning. It's the word passivity. And he crept into our culture, into the minds of, of men and women, but I want to speak to you specifically about men this morning. And I want to say that the enemy has almost fully crept into the culture of men in this part of the world today, at least. And he's planted a, a bomb there in people's minds called passivity. And it's a matter of time for most people before that is ignited and goes off. We don't know that it was put there always when we were children, but it completely disables us. If we were to look at the, uh, the life of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel in the, in the Bible, here we find Ahab and, and, and Jezebel, and they're sort of in this 
they had a unique relationship. How many people know that there are some marriages that work and they work really biblically and then there are other marriages that they seem to work but we can't figure out how. Without throwing anybody under the bus in your mind, would you agree with me? And in the Bible, there's this marriage between um, Ahab and Jezebel and it was absolutely havoc. It was absolutely dysfunction. In fact, to the point where when we look at Revelation chapter 2, it talks about an accusation coming against the, the leaders of that church that they've allowed the spirit of Jezebel, right, to, to creep into that church. And that spirit of Jezebel is one that, that is used, in, used by the enemy in the culture to silence voices of authority. I said the spirit of Jezebel is used by the enemy. I'm not talking, there are people, listen to me, there are people that believe, that begin to um, subscribe to things in the spirit that aren't the Holy Spirit, right? And it doesn't make them bad people. I didn't come to bash any people. But there are people that begin to subscribe to thoughts that the enemy brings through spirits like the spirit of Jezebel that we see in Revelation and like the spirit that was behind this woman in the Old Testament that the spirit in Revelation was named after. And it was a spirit that came in and it was a controlling spirit. But the way the spirit would control through these people was to silence the voice of God's men. And the way that Ahab and Jezebel functioned and stayed married was that Ahab was always under the thumb of Jezebel. Now if I asked you this, and, and I know that most of the people in this room have studied the Bible and loved the Bible, but uh, I don't want to embarrass you, so I'm just going to ask you a question I don't want you to answer, okay? If I asked you who the uh, most successful king in the history of the Old Testament was, most of you would say David, right? Am I right? But it's not, it's not David, it's Solomon. Solomon, was, for, the, for the blessing that was on his life and the amount of land and battles that he took, and, and, and in a sense the way you would keep score in the Old Testament, he was the most successful Solomon, who was number two. People would say, well, if it wasn't David number one, David would be number two. No, David was number three. Guess who was number two? Ahab was number two. Ahab was number two, and he had such incredible um, leadership capacity and influence. But there was something that had been seeded into him called passivity. And when this had been seeded into him, it began to disable his God-given capacity to lead. To the point that we see in 1 Kings chapter 21, that here is the second most successful king in all of the land of Israel, and yet he could not get the field that was right next to his castle. Why? Because there was a passivity that had crept into his mind and into his heart that disabled him. 
And I want to talk to you this morning about passivity. And I want to talk to the men in the room. And I want to talk to the women in the room. Because we all have a part to play within this. The opposite of passivity is not ego. The opposite of passivity in the scripture is not aggressive behavior. What we don't need is a bunch of men running around the culture like apes bashing things in, right? We don't need, we don't, I'm not trying to breed aggressive behavior in men. The opposite of passivity in the scripture is an O word, and it's the word obedience, And what the enemy tries to do within our culture today is through the spirits of this world, silence the voice of authority in the world. That's why why the enemy is always out to get authority. Listen, in every part of our culture, the enemy wants to attack authority. Every part. Doesn't matter who the president is, doesn't matter what color of tie he wears, doesn't matter what party he is, the enemy wants to destroy our president. Doesn't matter who the pastor is, doesn't matter what church it is, if it's preaching Jesus, if the kingdom's being built, the enemy would rather attack the pastor than attack anybody else in the church because he knows if the pastor falls, then a lot of people are going to fall with him. Listen to me. He doesn't mind attacking kids. He doesn't mind attacking moms. But he knows that if he can attack the father, the father figures, and the fathers in a culture, the father in a home, he knows if he can attack the father and the father falls, it's going to attack the rest of the family. And the family, in a sense, is going to fall in some way with him. Amen? And it's absolutely, absolutely what's happening in our culture. And what it has done in our culture is silence the voice of fathers into the next generation. And to silence the voice of fathers into children in homes. And I believe that Jesus is wanting to do something here this morning. I believe He's wanting to lift the lid off of passivity. You see, the cool thing, the prescription to uh, to be passive is to be obedient. means you hear from the Holy Spirit, you open up the Word of God, you see what God wants you to do, you step out into it. I'm going to say this because I believe that fear brings uh, a passive nature to people in our culture today. Well, what if? What if this happens? Well, what if? What if this doesn't work? Well, what if? What if somebody says something about this? No, no, no. Listen to me. Living in obedience is part of the faith culture that God wants us to live in in his kingdom. There's nothing in God's kingdom that operates on the premise of fear. Said so there's nothing in the kingdom of God that operates on the the premise of fear. In fact, the premise of fear means that we're operating in a different kingdom. It means that we're operating in, a, in, in the kingdom of this culture uh, which mirrors the kingdom of darkness. Amen? And, and so what God is wanting to do, and I'm speaking to men this morning, but I'm speaking to all of us because I'm just going to be transparent with you. They're they're in our culture. When there is a void, somebody has to step into it. I said in a home, when there's a void, somebody has to step into it. We're not ones to leave space, amen? I mean, we're Americans. We don't leave ground to be untaken. 
right? We're proud Americans. It doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. It's part of our culture to conquer, amen? And so when somebody gives ground, there's ground to be taken. And when the enemy takes men and reduces them in a culture, it means somebody had to step in. But I want to tell you this. Pastor Emily texted this to me yesterday because God's been speaking to her about this. Says this, I once heard it said a mother tells a child that they belong, but a father tells them why they are here. I'm sure we do a bit of both, but understanding that what I don't bring to the table is just as important as what I do. That's from Pastor Emily's heart. Let me read it one more time. I once heard it said, a mother tells a child they belong. Do you believe that? But a father tells them why they are here. Say the word identity. I'm sure we do a bit of both, but understanding what I don't bring to the table is just as important as what I do. Now, this is what I want to say to that, because I know I'm speaking to a room where there's single parents here. And I'm saying that you can't do everything that your children need. And that should be a relief for you instead of a burden that you're walking under. And the scripture says that God would be a father to the fatherless and a husband to the husbandless. Listen to me. But it's the same thing for the men. Your kids need to be nurtured. And you don't have to become this completely passive, emasculate father to see your children nurtured because we are both from God, mothers and fathers, and He has a capacity for nurturing as God that is different from our capacity for nurturing. And this doesn't mean that we don't appreciate it or participate in it. It means that we all have a part in it. And what it means for, for homes where maybe there's not a representation, where there's a Christ-following dad, that, that there would be other men, Christ-following men, that not in, a, not in a boundless way, not in a weird way, right? But that would come alongside, uh, that a church would come alongside of a, a single mom, a single dad, and partner with them to see their kids nurtured and full of the identity that God has for their lives. And I believe that that's something that God has for this church to be. I believe that that's something that every person under the sound of my voice is not only to have a willingness, but a seeking out for uh, uh, capacity to participate in that. Because my mom always used to tell me, it doesn't just take a family, it takes a village. And I'm a pastor, so I'm saying to you, it doesn't just take a family, it, it takes a church. And I cherish the fact that when men come alongside uh, my boys and my daughter in a godly way and, and echo the words many times that have already been spoken to them or the heart of what's been spoken to them and lift them up. And so I want to speak to you this morning about bringing identity into the next generation. About God using your words. Do you know that the enemy wants a hold of your mouth? Do you know that Proverbs 18.21 says that the power of, of life and death is in the tongue? That's powerful. We just need to get a hold of that. The power of life and death is in the tongue. That means that there are words that can come out of your mouth that can kill things. How many of you know that's good? There are some things that need to die. Not people, but things. There are some ideals that need to die. They need to be put to death. 
people might look at you and say, why are you speaking that? Because it's truth. If more truth was spoken, it would be elevated and evil lies would be put to death because there's the power of death that's in our tongue. But at the same time, we can speak over people and into people and and sow words of death and we can see them not physically, but relationally, emotionally, sometimes physically, but more than, more than most, relationally, emotionally, spiritually begin to wither. You want to see a marriage that's failing? Let me show you a man and a wife that don't understand the power of the tongue. There's nothing that will cut you to the core than, than, than death being spoken from a spouse. You want me to show you kids that aren't flourishing? Let me show you especially a dad that does not lead in such a way where he is speaking, number one. Because if he's not speaking, that's passivity. But where he is speaking and what's proceeding from his mouth is not his own thoughts or his own words, but it's an echo of the Father's heart, of the Father's thoughts, Heavenly Father, of God's plan for that young person's life. And let me tell you, when that begins to happen, all of a sudden you see fruit come on their tree, right? Because the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, that the power of life and death is in the tongue and we eat the fruit thereof. In other words, your words are seeds and you're eating the fruit of what you're speaking. And your family is living the fruit of what you're speaking. And the lid that's on your children is a lid that you've either allowed to be there because of the words that you won't speak because of passivity or it's a lid that's there because of the words that you've spoken that have put the lid there and that have held them down. I said a couple of weeks ago, God doesn't want leaders to be manipulators, but ones that sacrifice for the future of. And I want to say to you this morning, I believe that God has a plan for you men to become His voice and bring identity to a culture. And we look at a culture that's pretty much completely lacks real, true God identity. The culture. I'm not, talking, I'm not looking at a specific person. The culture. The culture where there can be 51 genders and not just two. The culture where Younger and younger, people can wonder, did God make me to be a man or did God make me to be a woman? The culture where people more and more and more can have a a misidentity, not just sexually, but relationally, to the point where people are more willing to relate to a device and through a device than they are to a person and through their own voice. Where it's become easier to text something than it is to talk something. Even though we live in a high-tech, low-touch world, that God wants to shift something and do something where FaceTime moves from a a phone or a a device to sitting down on a couch or maybe it's on the bench seat in a truck or wherever, whatever venue it is and looking 
eye to eye, from a father to a son, from a father to a daughter, from a, from a spiritual father to the next generation, and begin declaring, these are the thoughts that I think towards you. Because there's been surveys that are done in the middle part of America, and young people, 10 years old, 13 years old, 15 years old, what, what does your dad think about you? Overwhelmingly, I don't know. Does your dad love you? I think so. He provides for me. And what does this say? This says that more passivity has crept into our culture and silenced our voice than we understand. This means that as fathers, as teachers, as identity passers, as transmitters, that if the person on the other end of the conversation isn't hearing what needs to be said, then it hasn't been said enough and it hasn't been said in the right way because until the identity that God's desiring to put in our children is fully alive in our children, it hasn't been said enough, it hasn't been said in the right way, it doesn't just need to be louder, many times it just needs to be longer. One of the things that I've learned is my kids don't always hear exactly what I'm saying to them the first time. Do you believe that? Go clean your room. Did you clean your room? No. Did you tell me to clean my room? I didn't hear you tell me to, you know. No, I mean, it's, it's legit, right? They, they, I don't have bad kids. I only have good kids. But they don't always hear what their father's saying. Do you always hear what your father's saying? Do you always hear what the heavenly father's saying? No, thank God that his mercies are new every morning. And the giftings and callings, the Bible says, that he's provided for me are without repentance, meaning he doesn't take them away. And so what am I saying? I'm speaking to man and I'm saying it's time to let your voice rise up. Not in an authoritative way where it's like, we've all been around people where it's like, it's this way or the highway. No, in a spiritually authoritative way where it's like, this is what God is declaring. I don't know about you, but I remember the first time, I don't want to say read, but encountered Jeremiah 29, 11. When I encountered Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you a future and a hope to prosper you and not to harm you. I thought, he thinks thoughts about me. Like, that's good, right? I remember the first time that I realized that John 17 was talking about me. I thought, God isn't just speaking to a culture. He's speaking to me. God isn't just speaking to generations. He's speaking to me. It's not enough for your kids to hear you talk about how lovely they are in public. There needs to be a one-on-one -on -one venue, even if you have five like I do, or more, where you're able to speak into them identity. You know what? Wyatt, God's made you a man of God. You're only 10, but I want you to start to act like more, more like a man of God than, than just some kid that's running around wild. And what that means for you is, and then I begin to fill in the blanks. Why? Because a culture is never going to live to a standard higher than what's been set for them. And a child is never going to live to a standard higher than what's been set for them. But I believe that God wants to speak. Matthew 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him.
And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven. Say voice. A voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It was a voice. That's all I want you to understand this morning is the voice. Next week we're going to talk about integrity. Next week we're going to talk about the fact that if you're not doing what your voice is saying, you've just devalued everything that you've said. But I don't believe that that's the first thing we need to hear in this culture. I believe the first thing that we need to hear in this culture is we need to have a voice. We need to have a voice that's protecting. We need to have a voice that's providing identity. We need to have a voice into the culture. And God hasn't limited your voice in this culture. And God hasn't limited your voice in your family. But your voice, listen to me, your voice has limited God's voice in this culture. And your voice has limited God's voice in your family. God has limitless future and identity to be released in your children and in your grandchildren and in the children around you and in the young people around you and in our culture. But when our mouths are too timid to open, I believe that God's voice is limited. I believe he'll always find somebody. I believe he'll always use somebody. I believe sometimes he'll raise up a a tongue-tied 18-year-old like I was and fill him with the Holy Spirit and say, you're going to preach the gospel. Like, I don't know if that's a good idea. I think you probably could have picked a hundred other people that I know right now. No, but God will raise you up. And he'll raise you up even in the midst of the problems that he knows you have. He'll raise you up even in the midst of the thought that you've made mistakes. And how am I going to do this? Because my life's already marked. He'll raise you up and he'll restore you But I'm telling you, he doesn't raise people up that don't step up and that don't step out and say, God, I've made mistakes. God, I I, I repent. I haven't been the the dad, the the spiritual man, the father that you've called me to be, but I'm going to become a life speaker. I'm going to become someone that's speaking life into those around me that's releasing identity. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. These are the thoughts that I think towards you. And you know what? It's going to be different thoughts in different seasons. Because you're going to have children that are going through struggle. And the thoughts that you were thinking towards them aren't the things that they're doing. Somebody say amen. But you know what you can stand there and say? You know what you can sit across from them and say? You can say, the thoughts that I think towards you are thoughts that God's not finished with you yet. The thoughts that I think towards you is I'm never going to quit loving you. I'm never going to quit being your advocate. I'm never going to quit calling you up to a higher level. And that's because God will never quit calling you to that place that he's made you for. And he can use us to do this. But I'm telling you this definitively. He's wanting to restore 
men into a culture to be that voice where women would be able to do what God has designed them to do. This is not about a value. This is about design. And if God has designed someone to nurture, then why are we counting on them to to seed value? And if God has designed someone to seed value, then why are we saying, well, all things are the same. You should nurture too. God's designed you men with a design. I believe this morning, God is calling many of us. He's calling all of us, but many of us are willing to listen and willing to hear. Listen to me. There's been things that have come out of your mouth should have never came out of your mouth. There's been things that you should have said that weren't said and things that you said that never should have been said. I believe that there is a Isaiah moment happening right now where the scripture says that the Holy Spirit took a coal and cleansed Isaiah's mouth so that he could be used by God. It purified him with the fire of God. And then the Spirit of God said, who will go for me and whom should I send? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. I believe that there's a moment happening right now. I believe God creates moments. I don't believe that every moment is equal. I believe that when you hear this, there's a moment. But the longer we wait to respond to a moment, that passivity increases in our heart and in our mind and overtakes us and fear overtakes us. Hi, this is Pastor Andy Shaver, and I hope you've enjoyed this message. You know, the greatest joy of our ministry here is to see people encounter God in a relevant way and discover His plans and purposes for their lives. We exist to see their eternities altered through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you can have present and eternal peace no matter what your present circumstances are. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 that He has a heart for the hurting and the broken. The Bible teaches us in the book of Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 teaches us that if we confess our sins to Him, Jesus is faithful to hear us and forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior, then I want to invite you to do that right now. Until next time, remember God loves you and so do we.